Welcome to Messages for the Hour, a Harkin Network podcast featuring a series of timely messages for the body of Christ. This one is from Rick Joyner. He's the founder and executive director of Morningstar Ministries, a multifaceted mission organization which includes Heritage International Ministries, Morningstar University, and Morningstar Fellowship of Churches and Ministries. Rick has over 30 years of experience in ministry and has authored more than 50 books, including the Final Quest Trilogy, There Were Two Trees in the Garden, and Army of the Dawn. In his message, Rick shares at the Overcoming in the Last Days conference on the absolute necessity of cultivating an ever-deepening spiritual maturity and why we must understand the times and seasons in which we live. Here is Rick Joyner. Thank you. Leonard just told me it had gone so well, so don't mess up. <laughs> so uh, I could hear the worship. I was in the back. I can't sit in worship too much anymore. I've overdone it with my ears. And uh, most of it was being a, around jets so long as a pilot. But now if I sit right in front of the speakers for long, I'll pay a dear price. Now, I know the Lord can heal me, and as soon as he does, I'm going to be right back and sitting in the front and worship. And uh, that doesn't mean I have to be in here to worship. Matter of fact, if you're downstairs, uh, I think you could be in the Holy of Holies down there. So don't think you're just in the overflow. And you're just getting a little bit that goes over. Why not get the main part? You know, uh, the Lord is the one we came to see, right? And uh, he is where we gather. So our hope is that this morning somehow we touch him and get closer to him. And uh, I do like to stay within the theme of, uh, you know, conferences and gatherings like this, and uh, so I'm going to attempt to do that, and as is my custom, I developed this years ago as a way of addressing certain things, such as the theme, being prepared for the times, Uh, what is happening, we want to answer that, we want to answer what is not happening, and then what can we do about it? And I take that from the, uh, if you saw the movie or read the book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, uh, Colonel Moore uh, was the one who founded that. He almost got court-martialed. He was the commander of the first battle between the main U.S. forces and the, and the uh, regular North Vietnamese forces. And during the debriefing after the battle was over, many of his Leaders kept saying right during the peak of the battle, the colonel was over there sleeping. And uh, they were going to court-martial him for dereliction of duty. And they called him in. He said, I wasn't sleeping. He said, well, what were you doing? He said, I was trying to tune out all of the clamor of battle so I could focus on these three questions and answering these three questions. They said, what questions? And he said, these three. What is happening? He wanted to know what was really going on. He wanted to know what was not happening. 
Sometimes you'll get reports from everywhere that are meant to just distract you and have you applying your focus and your attention and your resources for something that's not really going on. And then he wanted to know, what can I do about it? What resource do I have to deal with this? So uh, I kind of use that as a template. And I think it's a good one for discerning the times. And uh, I think that is our main goal, is to discern the times. Jesus called them hypocrites who could discern the weather better than they could discern the times. And uh, I think it is a fundamental issue. Um, And if we're going to be prepared for the times, it starts with discerning them. And then I think we need to have a vision. What is our part in those times? What can we do about it? Why are we here? Why am I here? So uh, these are the things I want to briefly touch on. But, you know, in Luke 19, the Lord said to Jerusalem, if you had known in this day the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the day shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave you in you one stone upon another because, now this is why all of this was going to happen to Jerusalem, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. The second worst judgment of God recorded in Scripture came because they did not discern or recognize the time of their visitation. That's how important it is for us to know what God is doing, to to know our part in it, to be prepared for it. Now, to not recognize Him, it brings certain immediate judgments in our life, Now, not all judgments are condemnation or destruction. Most of the judgments in Scripture are discipline from the Lord for those whom He loves. Okay? And the wise love discipline. The wise love correction. But we want to receive it from the right source. Now, the Lord said, From now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So one way that we recognize visitations is recognizing those that are sent to us and recognizing the Lord's purpose in them. Now, every truth can be taken to extremes. Every truth gets taken to extremes. There are some people that are so devoted to that, they don't recognize those that the enemy sends to them. And the Lord commended the Ephesian church for putting to the test those who called themselves apostles, apostles, which means they sent one, and those who were not the real thing. So, you know, discernment requires that we test all things. It is right to test everything. It is right to test those who say they've been sent to us. That's not a disrespect of the Lord, it's wisdom. And there's certain, and he's given us the wisdom in the scripture to know how to test people. And uh, so, 
you know, I want to address a few of those too, because the Lord said, I am going to send you prophets and wise men and scribes. And then we have all these warnings about false prophets. You know, and I think we do have many false prophets. I think we have more false prophets than true prophets. I think we have many, many more pseudo-prophets. Really want to be. And uh, are trying hard. But, you know, if you, we go beyond the authority we've been given, we're on our own. And you can tell the difference. There are many out there like that. I don't call them false prophets. I call them immature. I call them unwise. Hopefully one day they will be. But right right now, I'm not going to receive them as a prophet. I may receive them as something else. But uh, you understand what I'm saying. But we want to receive those that the Lord sends to us. You know, to me, one of the convicting uh, messages after the resurrection was how he could draw close to those two men on the road to Emmaus, preach maybe the greatest sermon ever preached in history or that will ever be preached. He preached Christ from the beginning of the scriptures to the end. So we have Christ preaching Christ throughout the scriptures and they still couldn't recognize him. And I believe in Mark we're told why. It says because he appeared to them in a different form. I think the number one reason why we today tend to miss the Lord when he tries to draw near to us is because he'll almost inevitably come in a form we're not used to. If we're charismatic, he'll come as a Baptist. (laughs) Totally shocking out of our realm of possibilities. If we're Baptist, he'll come as a Presbyterian. Or a Catholic, God forbid. (laughs) But I think he is constantly challenging us. You know, um, know, if we're going to recognize him, we've got to recognize him after the spirit, not the externals. And if they had known him by the spirit, they would have known right away who was speaking to him. So our goal, and I think if we're going to be prepared for the times, the number one way we get prepared is we recognize the Lord first and foremost, and we stay close to him. Okay. And one of the things that, you know, he likes to do is come in different forms. I think in that way, he is constantly trying to stretch us so that we won't be old wineskins. And can hold new wine. He so loves diversity. Makes every snowflake different. Makes every person different. I think he wants every church to be different. Wow. Where does this pressure to conform come from? You know about the basic truths. Yes we want to be in unity. And we want to conform to those about everything else. I think there is liberty. One of the most encouraging things to me was when I took a couple of years, when I, I rarely get to speak in churches. I, I've spent most of my life in conferences such as this. This is not really a church meeting, but that's just where I was called. But I said, I'm going to s- spend a year or two mostly visiting Morning Star churches. 
I had no idea what they look like. And they're in our name, you know, all over the place. I said, I'm going to go to as many as I can this two-year period of time. The most encouraging thing to me about that whole trip was how I could not recognize one single common denominator that made them morning star. Nothing. I mean, they were all so radically different. I really loved our biker church up in the Northwest. What a crazy bunch of people. They gave me a nice Harley Davidson Road King is my courtesy car while I was up there. And uh, and this this is the truth. There's a Christian motorcycle because this is going so public, I don't want to name names, but uh, it's a really big one. They're well-known. They minister to the big biker gatherings all over the place and do a great job. And most of them are ex-Hells Angels or outlaws or whatever. They were, they were serious bikers. Well, the founder died. They got in such a dispute over who was going to uh take over that ministry, they got in a shootout (laughs) over it. (laughs) I mean, they were showing me where they, I got shot right here and I got, (laughs) I said, if you guys ever have another church split, do not call me. I am not coming. (laughs) (laughs) I call them the barely saved, but you know what? I don't know how to judge it, but you know what? They're getting more people saved than some of the other higher churches you would imagine. They're out there. Maybe it's because they're so close to that. I don't know, but uh, listen, we have so many unique, but isn't that, to me, that's one of the greatest things about the body of Christ. And one of the saddest things are when movements, there are certain denominations where every pastor in that denomination will drive the same car. I'm serious, the same kind of car. And others you can tell by their dress and things like that. Where's this pressure to conform come from? And, uh, you know, the Lord is, he's new every morning, but, it's, but he doesn't change. He's just, there's so much to him. We'll spend eternity learning of God. And, uh, and I think there's something of where we've got to start honoring and respecting the uniqueness. And the differences is not being contradictory or not being conflicting, but they're, they're opportunities. And they're complementary. You know, I don't want my my body to have two perfect hearts and no lungs. I'll be dead. I don't want my lungs to start saying, I want to be a heart. That won't work. And we've got to honor and recognize the uniqueness and start to, I think we're going to keep on missing the Lord when he tries to draw near to us if we keep trying to recognize him after the externals, after the form. One main thing we've got to have if we're going to be prepared is to be able to recognize the visitations of the Lord. Who he's coming in, when he's coming, how he's coming. 
And I think we need to start honoring and recognizing all the diverse cultures, races, nations. Lord told me in 2014, he said, he said, patriotism is going to win. I was praying about the presidential election, who was going to be our next president. And that was the main thing the Lord gave me. He said, patriotism is going to win. But he wasn't just talking about America. You're going to watch patriotism rise up and win all over the world. It's going to have setbacks. There are going to be battles. But God created the nations and gave them boundaries. And there's a curse that comes upon those who would move the ancient boundaries. You know, and God's unity is not a unity of conformity. It's a unity of diversity. Where we respect and honor and recognize the uniqueness that God has given to all people. And it's an honor to, and uh, we've got to do that if we're going to recognize God. When he said he made man in his image, he was really, you could have translated that, he made mankind. It takes all of mankind in all of its diversity to represent him. Nobody's got it all. Okay, we know in part, we see in part, but this fundamental devotion to, to instead of being repelled by someone who's different from us, getting excited, we may learn something. We may see the Lord in a new way through this person who is very different from us. The reason we have so much racism in the world is because there's so much bigotry in the church. It's the same spirit. Where we think we're better than others because we're part of a certain movement. Or we're part of a certain tribe or denomination. Or we're threatened by those who are different from us. Same evil. Fear, that kind of fear is the same evil. And it's the root that empowers the spirit of death. Bigotry. Spiritual bigotry, what is released in heaven through God's people. We're supposed to be seated with him in the heavenly places. It gets released on the earth, the good and the bad. We're not going to have authority over the racism and bigotry in the world until we get until we get over it in the church. Until we've dealt with it in the church, in the body of Christ. The world can't deal with that. But what did he say about his house? His house would be a house of prayer for all nations, but that word nations is the ethnos, all ethnic groups. And until we're that, until we're open to all ethnic groups, we'll never be the house of prayer we're called to be. We're not going to have the unity and the authority in prayer we're called to have. And listen, we're getting to the point where we need the unity and we need the prayer and the authority. Aren't you here tired of hearing people declaring all this stuff and nothing ever happens? You can, you know, create a little bit of excitement in a meeting. But I'm kind of tired of going to places where they say, we bound the principalities before you came. And those principalities show up in my bedroom at night. You know, how did they get loose so quick? You know, and commanding angels. We have people commanding angels. You know, Jesus did not do that. 
Didn't he say, if I ask my father when he was here as a man? Listen, we're not talking about Gerber babies. We're commanding Gerber babies with wings. We're made lower than them. And uh, besides, how do you know if you need a legion of angels or just one big one? You know, but listen, we are called to judge angels. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And to presume and to start taking authority before it has been given is a major mistake we can make. Okay, don't do that. Don't be foolish. Don't be presumptuous. But thank the Lord. He loves his kids and he's childproofed his house. We should have probably all been dead. I don't know how many times by the stupid stuff we've done, but he's kept us from being killed. But just because he's done that, don't presume you did right. You know, we're still acting pretty immature in general. Okay. But one of the things we want to do, and I think one of the things that is a result of maturity is recognizing the Lord when he comes. And looking for him. You know, and I think a part of that is when we stop trying to hear the words of the Lord and seek to hear the word himself. Now, I've spent the last few days, a good part of each day, in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm serious. I've been there. I don't think many Christians have been there. We're going. (laughs) We're headed there. Sounds bad, doesn't it? It is one of the most exciting places you could ever go. And that is the place where we get to know him as our shepherd. Where it's no longer men who are our shepherd. No longer doctrines that control us or certain things like even true doctrines can be used wrongly. But where we get to know the Lord as our shepherd. But one thing, I I know the dread of entering such a place where you're in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, if a shadow, if you're near a shadow, that means what is casting the shadow is pretty close. And that's what it, it is one of the most dangerous places I think we can go. Guess what? In some ways, we live in it every day. It's the world, this present age. If we only knew how surrounded we are by death every day. But many don't have their eyes open to see. And and until we get mature enough, we don't want to see a lot of it. But I know one of the main devastating things that took a lot of people out in the valley of the shadow of death is not knowing the Lord as their shepherd. And, um, and I think that's why we've got to mature beyond just seeking words from the Lord. We're seeking the word himself. You know, where if somebody gives us a word, we can recognize right away, that's my shepherd speaking to me. It's not just that person. Where it doesn't matter who it comes from. I think often the most important words will come from those that we think are the least important people. The Lord loves to do that. And uh, 
especially if we become proud and presumptuous. So, uh, you know, are we going to recognize the king? Are we following the king or just principles? And wouldn't you love to hear offerings being taken up when it wasn't about what we get where now we get to contribute to the purpose of the king. And it's about what he gets, what he deserves. I mean, you know, one of the warnings about the last days was, you know, for those who nurse babes in these times. And that to me is a warning against those who keep their people in immaturity. And if we've got to use hype, if we've got to use counterfeit spiritual authority, which is witchcraft, to take up offerings, we'd do a whole lot better not to have that offering. Not to have a single nickel that we took up that way. Listen, right now, that will work and will work better and will get you much bigger offerings. You know why? We're still babes. For the most part, still babes. And uh, and also still carnal. You know, Paul, you know, corrected, which he had the authority to do, the Corinthian church. He said, if somebody comes in here and smacks you in the face, abuses you, you'll respond to them, you'll follow them. But you may have many teachers, but you only have one father. I come in here in weakness and tremor, but I'm your father. But you won't regard me. But carnal people respond to carnal authority. And uh, you will not get big offerings if you do it right. I'm just saying. By the way, you know what that means. In the South, you can say almost anything you want as long as you finish it with I'm just saying. You get away with it. And if you have to say something really bad about somebody, just finish it with, well, bless their heart, and you get away with it. It's the wisdom of the South. So I'm just saying... But you know, it's interesting when Agabus went around prophesying, or what not Agabus, who was it? Who? It was Agabus that prophesied a famine's coming upon the whole world. Their response wasn't to start hoarding. I mean, it's coming upon them too. Their response was to take up an offering. They were mature. They understood, yeah, let's... Take up an offering. They knew where to give that offer. They wanted their response was to give, not to ward. That's the nature of true faith. You're looking for every opportunity you can to give to the kingdom purpose. And but we shouldn't have to manipulate, promise people stuff that doesn't happen. You know, and yeah, the, the scriptures are true. Uh, you know, you will reap what you sow, and the Lord will multiply the seed and everything. But I still think there is there are other conditions which we don't tend to talk about. 
So, but the main thing is, is we're doing this in maturity. We want to be a part of what God is doing. We want to take our resources and give them into what he is doing, what will accomplish his purposes. So I don't want to belay on that or, or take too much time on that. But how we handle our money is an ultimate issue at the end of the age. The mark of the beast is an economic mark. Whether we can buy, sell, or trade. And I think the way we don't take the mark of the beast is not by discerning what the mark of the beast is. I think you can have total knowledge of what the mark of the beast is and still take it. Even if you're a Christian, I think you'll cave in and still take it if we don't have God's mark on us. And he tells us who he marks with his mark. That's Revelation 7, where he holds back the four winds of the earth until he can mark his bondservants. Not many Christians are bondservants. You know, you cannot understand the book of Revelation without being a bondservant. And we all claim it like we declare things. Claim to be a bondservant, claim to be... I know people who claim to be sons of God. Manifested sons of God. And they're the most ridiculous, immature... I told them, I said, you're like little children, put on Superman costumes, start thinking you were Superman. Show me the fruit. Walk across my swimming pool. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't have a swimming pool, but walk across my neighbors or what? <clears throat> I mean, do something. But uh, and we've got to stop being so immature to swallow some of this stuff. You know. Um, and I really believe there's going to be a manifestation of the sons of God. I think they're the company that Enoch prophesied of that's recorded in Jude, the book of Jude. They're, that's going to happen. There's truth to that. But listen, there's always a Saul before David. You know, and it will sometimes appear to be head and shoulders above anything else. And we'll tend to follow it. But where's the real? Where's the reality? Where's the substance of what we're saying? Now, <clears throat> one thing, I think also Paul, I mean, there's a lot of wisdom given to the immature and the carnal Corinthians. They were called the carnal church. I submit to you they're pro they were probably more mature and more spiritual than just about any church on the planet today. And I have friends that say, well, they were carnal because they were so seeking the gifts of the Spirit. I said, don't you know how to rightly divide the Scriptures? Paul called them carnal, told them they were carnal, and then he gives them as one of the remedies to their carnality is seek the gifts of the Spirit in place of that. They weren't carnal because of that. This was a remedy to their carnality. And... Uh, no, it is becoming spiritual. It is becoming mature. But it's the divisions that 
made him to understand their carnality. Now, there were some members doing crazy things. There are going to be some members in every body of people that do crazy things, bizarre things. And uh, that isn't going to go away. Jesus knew who Judas was when he chose him. He still put him right in the middle. You know, the Lord could have prevented evil from coming. He could have prevented the enemy from sowing tares in the middle, midst of the wheat. But he said, no, let them do it. He said, now let them grow up together. We want to go uproot all the tares. You know what you end up doing? Most of the time, uprooting the wheat and keeping the tares. Because they both look alike. An immature, true a person with a true prophetic calling will look just like a false prophet and just like, you know, just about everything wrong you can think until they mature. So will an apostle. Paul the apostle that we have idealistically formed in our minds, we probably would not let into our church today. We'd kick the bum out. I'm just saying. <laughs> but Paul said some amazing things to help us discern to help us to discern those who are being sent and those who aren't. First thing he said, you know, I have authority for building you up and for tearing you down. And he did have. He had authority for tearing them down. Why? Because he had authority for building them up. He had been used to build them up. He had been used to build them. Now, I don't believe anyone has authority to tear down that hasn't been a part of the building. Paul said, if I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you. Because you're my fruit. And Paul was not an apostle to others. This thing, if you're an apostle, you're an apostle to everybody, is not true. Paul the apostle was not an apostle to everyone. He was not an apostle to the Jews. Peter was an apostle to the Jews. There are spheres of authority which Paul talked about here. That's why if somebody comes into my church that wasn't a part of the building, they start tearing everything apart and criticizing everything, I throw the bums out. They were not sent. They were a false apostle. They weren't sent to me. Now, they may end up being a true apostle when they mature. I don't throw somebody away totally, but I'm not going to let them minister in my the sphere of authority God's given to me unless they were a part of the building. Lest they have that investment. You understand what I'm saying here? It says any jackass can kick a barn down, but it takes a skillful carpenter to build one. Anybody can go around criticizing. Anybody can see what's wrong. But who has that ministry of Ezekiel who could see in the driest bones an exceedingly great army start prophesying to the bones until those bones become what they're called to be. Who has the words of life to prophesy to the bones? And first to see them for what they're called to be, not just as they are. A whole lot of prophetic ministry today just runs around telling the bones how dry they are. That's not prophetic, that's pathetic. It's not vision. It's not prophetic vision. Now there's correction needed. 
But listen, we're called to be a family first, not an organization. I remember one time when I was walking in downtown London, just walking around one afternoon and I was getting close to Buckingham Palace and the Lord just challenged me. He said, what would you say to the queen if you meet meet her? I go, oh no, I'm about to meet the queen. And then I'm thinking, I said, I'm a dumb American. I don't know if I should bow or curtsy or (laughs) I don't know what to do. Then I just said, well, I treat her with respect. I do the best I could to treat her with respect because she's the queen. And the Lord said, don't you ever forget that my church is the queen. So you be careful how you speak to my wife. He says, she may need correction, but you better do it with the utmost respect for who she is. Now listen, if you left your children in the care of your neighbors and and came back and they're just beating the daylights out of them and and treating them harshly, how would you feel about that? Look at the way some go around treating the body of Christ. The body of Christ needs a lot of help. We've we've got a long ways to go. We do need a lot of correction. Who's got the words of life that are going to bring us to our purpose? Help us go to the next level. Help us get there. And there's, there's a difference between fathers and teachers. Paul said, you have many teachers, but not many fathers. I think we need to recognize the difference between teachers and builders. Where they come and they leave something, they build something. And if someone's done that, you know, we have many visiting ministries at our home church in Charlotte. And, uh, but I'm always looking for those who come and they build something there. They leave something that we can then continue building upon, that's a difference. And those are the ones I'm really open, if they've got correction or whatever, we listen to them. Do you hear what I'm saying? So I think we have to mature in these things. And sometimes it means running people out of town. Or at least taking them aside. Now I get, I speak in all kinds of, conferences and ministries and I'm often told if you see anything wrong here address it now I I take that as liberty even though I'm in a different movement it's not one that I've helped raised up so I'm not presuming to be an apostle to them but they gave me authority but you know what I'm still not if I see something really wrong foundational or something I'm not going to share it with the, all the people. But I will share it with the leaders in private. Because we're given that if somebody's in sin or missing the mark, off track, go to them in private. There's a certain procedure. And these people that come in just start bellowing out, you're wrong here. Throw the bumps out and bless their hearts. You throwing them out may help them mature. It may help wake them up. And they may come back one day as the real thing. Real thing. So we don't, we're not giving up on people. I don't care how messed up they are. Because I've had some, known some people. I've been pretty messed up. I may still, I probably am still really messed up in some areas. We're all still trying to grow up in this. 
And uh, so I want to give grace. If you want to receive grace, give grace every chance you get. If you want to receive mercy, sow mercy every chance you get. But if we have authority and responsibility as God's shepherds, his elders, his overseers, we have to protect his people as they're mature. But sometimes we don't need to throw the bum out. We just need to take them in the back and say, stop that. And we've got board members of Morningstar that we had to do that with a lot. We'd take them aside because they would constantly come and just bash everybody. And we'd take them aside, don't do that anymore. But we didn't throw them away. Pretty soon they quit doing that. Then they came, they started coming and building and they had a major impact on building our ministry. So, okay, but let's go back to the bond servant thing, all right? Just a little bit. I think the Great Commission is yet, yet to be fulfilled. I don't think it's being fulfilled in our time. Great Commission was to make disciples, not just converts. I think it's been watered down. And I think if we would read Jesus' definition of what a disciple is, we would probably think, I don't know if I know any real disciples. I tell you this, real disciples have searched that out. And I think all of us, I don't care how much time we waste or whatever, we can still be a disciple. But I think very few Christians are disciples. They're converts, and that's a start. But when you're born again, that's not the end of your life. We don't even know what you're going to look like when you're born. And when you're born again, it's the same way. It's not the end of all things. It's the beginning. But many people are still babes. They're still infants. And there's a whole lot of the ministry of the church that keeps people in immaturity. We've got to go on to maturity. Okay? So, but disciples, you read that, they wake up every day, Master, how can I learn of my Master? How can I be more like my Master? How can I do the works he did? This is the dominating drive of their life. It's not an appendage. It's not something they think about Sunday morning. It's the focus of their life. Okay? I think very few people walk. And then go and read all the things Jesus himself said about his disciples. And see how well you fit in. If you don't, just pray for grace and mercy. And listen, he can make up the years that the locusts have eaten. But let's get on with it. We've got to be disciples first. You can never be a bondservant until you've been a disciple. That's why we have to address that first. But uh, the bondservant doesn't wake up every day thinking, Oh, beautiful day. Wonder what I'm going to do today. What can I do? No, a bondservant wakes up, Master, thank you for this beautiful day. What would you have me to do today? Because their time is not their own. They don't have anything of their own. They don't get a big check in the mail and say, oh man, I'm going to buy that car I wanted or that boat I wanted or what." No, they don't even think like that. It's master. What do you want me to do with your money? <coughs> and the bond servants are sealed in their minds, on their foreheads, as we see in Revelation 7. But, you know, you cannot even understand the book of Revelation without being a bond servant. We're told right in the first. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
It's not a revelation of the Antichrist. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, which the Lord gave him, the, God gave him to give to his bondservants. We've got to have that bondservant mentality to even understand the book of Revelation. And then there's, there are levels beyond bondservant. There's being a friend, and then there's being a son or daughter. That's our goal is to be his family members. I know a lot of people are claiming that now that haven't even become disciples. Now, in a general sense, we're his kids. If we're born again, we're born of his. But that's not what he's talking about when he talked about in John 1, given the, these are given the power to become sons of God. That's not what Paul was talking about in Philippians 3. Paul the apostle, maybe the greatest missionary may be the greatest apostle of all times. He said, I don't think I've yet attained. He's saying this near the end of his life. He said, I don't consider that I've yet attained, but I press on towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He wasn't talking about attaining salvation or eternal life. He was talking about that high calling he saw. We must see the high calling. I tell you, when you see it, you're an absolute idiot not to give everything, every thought, everything you've got to pursue it. Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting all this other stuff, these qualifications I may have, I'm going after this. Now, I think we also have to see his city. You know, Abraham left everything because he saw a city. And he had a lot to leave. He's obviously a very wealthy man, mem member of the aristocracy of one of the greatest cultures in, in the world, one of the greatest of all, all time. He left it to follow a dream, not knowing where he was going. In desert places. Do we see his city? He saw something God is building, not just men. No man can be blamed for this. It's beyond what anything men could. And that's what compelled him. And to me, one of the remarkable statements in Scripture this is where it says, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived in tents. They were so wealthy, they made kings jealous. They could have built the nicest palaces maybe in the world at the time. They said, we don't need a palace. We've got a bigger vision than that. A tent is fine for me right now. I can live in the most humble place because I am not living for the temporary. I've seen the eternal city of God. That's what I'm giving everything to be a part of. Do we see his city? We need a higher vision. Now, a lot of things that help us get there, a lot of things that help us in our maturity. I think one of them is local church life. I hear people all the time say, oh, I can't go back to church. <clears throat> so, you know, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And uh, 
Besides, they hurt me. Oh, you were hurt by the church? So is everybody in church. You can't go to church without being hurt. You can't get around people without being hurt. And uh, there were just two brothers on the whole earth they couldn't get along. One of them basically said, this world isn't big enough for both of us. People have trouble getting along. But you know what? That's part of the process. I hear people say all the time, well, when the church gets its act together, I'll come back. Guess what? They'll be so far down the road, you'll never catch up to them. It's the process where we get to forgive each other. We get to love each other. We get to have patience with each other. And those who run from that process, they're never going to attain. They're not going to catch up. That's why, you know, I think that, you know, uh, Paul's shipwreck is one of the revelations we need to understand. The same things that led Paul's ship into that shipwreck are the same things that lead most Christians into shipwreck. And many Christians don't even know they're shipwrecked. If you don't have a ship, it's wrecked. If you're out there floating around by yourself somewhere, you've been in a shipwreck. Why? Why? Because one thing, they were, you know, in a hurry to get to Rome. Where is impatience a fruit of the Spirit? If we're being led by impatience, is, are we going to be led by the Spirit? If we're going to be led by impatience with other people, they're just not getting there fast enough. They're not where I thought they should be. Is that the Spirit? By the way, have you looked at yourself lately? And then it said they didn't feel that the port that they were in was adequate for wintering. I would say dissatisfaction with circumstances. You know, many Christians are led more by dissatisfaction with their circumstances than they are by the Spirit. We should never leave a situation because we're dissatisfied with it. We're supposed to be going from faith to faith, glory to glory. We should never leave a situation until we have the victory there. And then we're not just leaving something we're disgruntled about. We're going to a higher vision. We're going with purpose. And we're leaving the glory of the Lord behind. Those who are led by the Lord, we're supposed to be followed by the glory of the Lord. It says the glory of the Lord will be their rear guard. How many of us are leaving glory every place we leave? Instead of just a bunch of people mad at us and we're mad at them and, and the church is hurt. And... Woe to those who nurse babes. In these days, I know a prophetic person that I think may have one of the, that I, I believe is a true prophet today with a real gift. <clears throat> he said he thinks about 98% of the personal prophecies that he gives to people will never come to pass. He said it's not because the word isn't true. He said, very few Christians will make their calling and election sure. 
You know, when Daniel saw in the prophecy of Jeremiah that it was time for the remnant, for Israel to be restored to their land, 70 years had passed, he didn't just start rejoicing and getting excited. He started praying and fasting for the word of the Lord to come to pass. Do we take these prophecies as the treasures that they are? If you've received a word from God, it's more valuable than any, I think, anything else you could ever receive on this earth. Do we care so much? We start praying. We start fasting. Lord, what do you want me to do? And there are a lot of Christians say, I, I'm not going to do anything. If it's the word of the Lord, it will come to pass. It will never come to pass then. And it is the word of the Lord. You know why? Because he sent us the helper, not the doer. He's not going to do our part. We've got to do our part before he's going to do his. He will help us. But he's not going to do it for us. It's good to have respect for things of God and not want to mix flesh with spirit. That's not what we're talking about here. He wants us engaged. I hear people all the time say, I've been open my whole life for the Lord to use me in spiritual gifts. And he never has. Well, it takes more than that. He tells you right there, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Seek them. Pursue them. If you're just open, you don't care enough to receive them. He's not going to trust you with something. You don't care any more than to earnestly desire them. Check out what that word is in the Greek. Same word that is translated lust. It's the only legal lust there is, lust after spiritual gifts. And you know, if we would use our lust that way, we wouldn't be using all the wrong ways. That's why Paul was telling the Corinthians who were carnal people, earnestly desire the gifts. That's legal to want it that bad. And if you're so afraid of doing something that isn't God, you're never going to do anything. And guess what? You are going to do a lot that isn't God. We really should be going around most of the time saying, thus saith me. (laughs) Not attaching his name to something that is our impression. You know, an impression can be a powerful revelation from the God, but it is also on a level that is open to a lot of mixture. Of our own prejudices, our own thoughts, it can be even, I think, corrupted by caffeine withdrawal. (laughs) You know someone who's always got the angry prophecies? Give them some coffee, their prophecies will change. But do we treasure these things? Do we make your, how how do we make our calling and election sure? One thing, I think we start as a disciple. My main purpose on this earth is to learn of my master every single day. Learn as much as I can. Get closer to my master. Become like my master. I ultimately want to do the works that my master did. I want to be just like him and do the works that he did. And of course, we know we can only do that if we're abiding in him. That's what discipleship leads us to. And our calling, the great commission to make disciples, 
is not to go out and make people our disciples. They're to make them his disciples. And uh, now, let's talk about that a minute. How would you feel if all of your children start looking like your best friend? I'm just saying. Not implying anything here. <laughs> but I'd say we've got a problem. <clears throat> are we leading people to the Lord or are we just leading them to us? I think the this is my opinion. And uh, which I think is a, a right thing to do. Paul said a number of things. This is my opinion. You say, I think I have the spirit here, but this is my opinion. But this is my opinion. I think the most important ministry in the world today is the Eleazar ministry. You know who Eleazar was? He was the one Abraham sent to get his son Isaac a bride. Now think about this guy. He's a servant trusted with all these treasures, all these gifts. Many of the ancients considered him one of the great examples of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And he goes, finds this girl, and he gives her gifts, gives her parents gifts and everything. That's the Holy Spirit. He gives gifts. He loves to give gifts. He'd love to give more if we were just pursuing but he's not drawing their attention to himself. Everything he says, this is from my master, Isaac. This is from him. And he's, he so builds up Isaac. You think about this young girl is willing to leave her family and probably never see him again. I don't think she did ever see him again. Probably never see your family again. Never see everything you've ever known. To go and be joined to somebody, you, he didn't have a picture of him. You couldn't FaceTime with him before you didn't even know what he looks like, didn't he? I mean, but somehow Eliezer captures her heart for the, her bridegroom to the degree she's willing to leave everything. And then on this long journey, Eliezer doesn't get her to fall in love with him. He is so built up Isaac. So caused her to fall more and more in love with Isaac. When she spots him in the field, she can't stand. She leaps off of the camel. Does our ministry do that to the church? Or does it just attract people to us and our ministry? Are we connecting people with the Lord or just movements and doctrines and... This is the main thing I've been praying for for a long time. I think it is the greatest anointing we could have at the end. Something that would so captivate the bride. Where she would make herself ready. She would make herself perfect. She'd wake up every day. I've got to get better. I've got to get in better shape for my bridegroom. I've got to get this 
perfect gown. You know, just this drive to be ready for the bridegroom. Why not us? Somebody's going to have that ministry. I think it is the true ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, there are a lot of things and, you know, we could talk about the last days, about events and all. And, of course, you see a sequence of events in the book of Revelation, which I personally believe started happening, just like he said there, that will shortly come to pass. I think they started coming to pass immediately after John had the revelation, and they've been unfolding ever since. Most people don't see it because they, they're clueless or ignorant of, of history. And, um, but a lot of things have been unfolding, and there is a sequence of events there, and that's all a part of the revelation of Jesus. I think, you know, but he has never quit moving among men. And he, his Holy Spirit has been poured out on every generation in a major way. And yet our generation, we think it's all going to happen here at the end. I just one other thing to slide out. You're not going. We're not going to walk in what we're called to walk in, unless we're baptized by John. I'm not just talking about repentance there, though that that is a big one. You know, a lot of people teaching today you shouldn't repent anymore. Once you repent, that's foolishness. <laughs> that's idiocy. You know, that's the, one of the craziest things I've ever come up with yet. But guess what? One of our former team leaders, Steve Thompson, had one doctrine that I think is absolutely true, is infallible. People are crazy. <laughs> Called P-A-C. People are crazy. And you'll have some of the weirdest, craziest doctrines coming out of everything. But listen, doesn't it say don't lay again a foundation of repentance? Because once you laid the foundation, you don't lay the foundation on top of the foundation. Foundation's laid. But listen, the foundation's something you don't abandon then. It's what you walk on every day. It doesn't mean we quit repenting. You know, most of us still have several hundred things wrong with us. But to be baptized by John, what does that mean? The, uh, John was a representative of all who had prepared the way for the Lord. He was the last of an order. And he represented from the beginning. They had prophesied of him. Nobody in history had the credentials that Jesus had. Nobody. Buddha doesn't have them. Muhammad doesn't have them. Nobody else has the credentials. He was spoken of from the beginning in incredible detail. And all of these who had prophesied of him had helped to prepare his way. And John was there, the last and the greatest of the order, to say he is the one we spoke of. He's the lamb. That's when when Jesus has his authority challenged by the Pharisees. What did he say? He answered their question with the question, the baptism of John. Was it of God or of men? Because if they understood that, they would understand who he was. 
I tell you, we too only have authority to the degree that we're connected to all of those who have prepared the way for this time. It doesn't mean you have to absolutely know church history from beginning to end and all this stuff, but there's something of honoring those who went before us. Honoring the fathers and mothers. Drinking from their wells. Understanding and we need to be delivered of this pride of thinking we're the last and we're the greatest. Listen, the house, the restored temple that did have a greater glory. It was promised a greater glory than the former. It was an inferior house. It was not as great as the old house. I don't care. I'm looking for the glory anyway. What good is the most glorious house if there's no God in it? And if God's in it, it's not going to be the house that has our attention. Now, I'm called to be a builder. I have to focus on the house and building the church and building churches. And th- That's not why I do this. If he doesn't have a place to dwell, listen, he'll bless many things he will not dwell in. And we've got to mature beyond just seeking the blessings of the Lord. You know, the blessings of the Lord can be judgment from God. He did that to Israel in the wilderness. If you give a child that's throwing a tantrum what they want, you're hardening their heart. Just getting the blessings, getting things from God. Listen, we've got to mature beyond that. And it's not that we stop wanting his blessings. Jacob so valued the blessing, he would wrestle with God himself for us. We want to esteem and honor the blessings. But listen, if we don't have a bigger vision than that, we are going to remain in immaturity. We're going to remain as spiritual infants. God will visit many places he won't inhabit. Just having visitations. We've had a number of visitations where everybody there knew this was God. No man could have done this. And I love those. I, I mean, they're, you know, they're some of the greatest things I've ever experienced. But I'm after more than that. Where does he dwell? Where does he dwell? Where does he stay? Where is he, his manifest presence? If we're not doing it for him to come to his temple, if it's just for that, the temple, listen, I love the church. I love the body of Christ. I think it is only somewhere between 5 and 10% of what it's called to be. I think already, even with that low level of what it's called to be, it's one of the most powerful entities on the planet. What's going to happen when we get to 20% of what we're called to be? It's going to be unbelievable. I think we're going to see get all the way to become all that she's called to be. I'm real excited about it. To me, I look at us just being 5 or 10% of what we're called to be, which I have evidence for. To me, that excites me. Look at the upside. It's this awesome now. And it is awesome. What other entity is like it on the planet? We've got so much to, to do, to go. So much further to go. But listen, I'm not doing it for what the church is. Now the church is the city. You realize that is what the city 
that Abraham saw. He saw a city that God has built. His church is going to become like a city. A city set on a hill. I tell you, last August, I mean, October, whenever I was in Israel, my first time, Lord had prevented me from going there for 20 years. More than 20 years, almost 30 years he had not let me go. Then he finally let me go. I was so excited to stand on the Mount of Olives and look down on Jerusalem. You know what my first thought was? This is why we need a new one. I appreciate Jerusalem, appreciate those who are laboring so hard, but that's not where my hope is. That is not, there is a new Jerusalem coming now. That's where I want to, that's the city that Abraham saw. The, the earthly Jerusalem is a type and a model, and I think it's going to come into an awesome place. And I believe we're going to see Israel coming into an awesome place and becoming a part of the one new man that is prophesied. We're going to see all of that happening, which by the way, you know, we had about 2000 years. It was a time when God dealt almost exclusively with the Jews. And then we've had almost 2000 years now where it's been the times of the Gentiles. But what we're not coming to is another time of the Jews. A lot of people have that concept. No, that is not it. We're coming to the con- time of the Jews and the Gentiles together in one new man. We're going to see that merging together in one new man. That is talked about in Ephesians and other places. But we need to understand. But still, I think to really become what we're called to be and do on earth, we've got to see it in the heavens. We've got to see his Now, I just want to, there's so much I want to share, but I want to touch on this last thing in just these last few minutes. You've been hearing a lot about the deep state, haven't you? Does everybody understand what the, the deep state is? Okay, I, I think I heard more no's than yeses. But uh, the deep state, we have roughly 500 elected officials in our federal government, including all the congressmen, all the Senate, the and, and the appointed ones by the, you know, is the cabinet and everything. It's roughly 500. We got about 3 million unappointed people, unelected, I mean, they're appointed, they were hired, but unelected people who now have more influence and control over our federal government than the elected officials. These are bureaucrats. You know, you know that 3,000-page Obamacare bill? Almost all of it was written by staff and bureaucrats. Then, right after, to impose that law, 50,000 pages came out of code and rules, and you got to do it this way, just written by unelected officials, their opinion, this is how you should do this, and it was an unbelievable disaster, as, as you could imagine. And um, there are the bureaucrats who now basically control so much of our government. Here's the thing. Here's why they have so much control. You can't fire them. They're part of civil service unions, public service unions. 
Part of their contract is they can't be fired. You know, the Secretary of State cannot fire a secretary in the, uh, you know, in our foreign service. Now, you can, but it, it can take about 10 years to actually fire someone. And they're going to just sit there and do what they want for that 10 years. Because the process, they even have to go through the Circuit Court of Appeals to fire them. It is such a process. And how did that happen? It's called the deep state. The president can say things and they can just totally thwart it and say, we're not going to do that. Which, you know, this is really unconstitutional. It was never supposed to be a part of our government. But it's where we are. All right, here's my point. That's pretty bad. What they call the deep state, it really is bad. And when you talk about draining the swamp, believe me, we've only gotten a couple of drops out of that swamp. But is the church any better? Aren't bureaucracies running things? Where do these people who get so much authority? Now, there are some that um, I think have authority and influence movements. But I tell you, I see it happening in, in recent, even recent movements becoming bureaucracies really fast. And I think, again, it's what we do in the spiritual realm gets released on the earthly realm. You look at the church in the Middle Ages. You look at the church today. The Pope says all kinds of things, and then you hear coming out. No, we don't. We're not going to do that. But uh, I'm just saying. And bless all their hearts. Because they're coming after me. <laughs> but uh, but <clears throat> where does the authority of those speaking to the church come from? And that's one of the things we need to ask. That was an appropriate question for them to ask Jesus. By what authority do you do these things? We agree they're being done. These are miracles. No problem with that. But by what authority? By what authority are these people coming to us? Are they builders? Are they a part of the family? Are they family members? Are they coming to just do what Paul talked about, the false apostles, the false messengers, just beat the people? And we may need a good licking. Not saying we don't. But listen, if you're going to spank the children of the king, you better do it with all the dignity and respect that a future king deserves. You may need the spankings, not saying that. But we do need to challenge those who come to us. And you are right to do that. And you're right to ensure that it's right and that they're right. Are they builders? Were they a part of the building? And more than anything else, am I hearing my shepherd in them? Is this my shepherd? Is this my teacher? And do they leave us wanting more of the king or just wanting more of them? Do they have that Eliezer 
mark of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for all these hungry people. Thank you for all those sitting downstairs where I understand they can see and hear better than the people up here. I'm just saying. (laughs) Thank you for that. You know, just to see so many hungry people. Lord, I ask you for every one of these that they would receive that manna from heaven. You're the manna from heaven. Not just words, not just strategies, not just teachings, but the fresh manna from above. Lord, I ask you for that, for every one of these. And Lord, I ask you to, for that relationship where you become our shepherd, you become our teacher, you become our prophet, that you're the one that we're being drawn to. And Lord, make out of these hungry ones a bride that you're worthy to have. In the name of Jesus, amen.